It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. Clearly, we're going to hear the ringing of the phone calls today. And you can also hit us up on Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. There we go. Phone's (laughs) off the hook right off the top of the show. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Knicks trade. That's what it is. They're only going to give up a couple of draft picks, and they're going to get all the superstars in the league. Wonderful. Tremendous breaking news. (laughs) You must know somebody that the rest of us don't know. I'm glad we interrupted the flow of Big Blue Kickoff Live to squeeze that in. Oh, a little NBA draft humor. What the hell? Yes, the NBA draft was yesterday. Well, you did some NBA comparisons and... I, we we had some fun with that the other week. day. Yes, we so did. Apparently, yes, we did. That didn't what a, what a boring draft it was, especially if you're the Knicks and don't well, have any picks. Course. How about burying the lead? That's where I thought you were going to lead off. Yeah. Well, it was also, I think, a bit of an unusual draft with respect to it was very top-heavy with European players, mm-hmm. too. You mm-hmm. didn't have most of the prolific United States college players go until pick seven, and then all of a sudden we started to see a flow. No matter how many times the NBA tries to make it a big deal, it will never match the NFL draft. I'm sorry. It will never get to that level. I think part of it is, think about how many months we spend going over prospects. That's not really done when you think about it in college basketball. I'm not to say the people who are invested in it are going to do their homework and research, but I don't think the basketball fan base overall is as passionate in studying well, up on the prospects as we go through the NFL. How guys. many NBA draft guides do you see on no, your that, well, that's what I'm saying. local I mean, that's the supermarket shelf, or, sure. or yeah. you know, how many shows are devoted to it? No, no, it's it's yeah. no, it's a fraction of what the NFL draft is. And you would think it's much easier to digest all the basketball prospects. Should there's be not nearly as many. Should be it only goes two rounds. Should be about easy. sixty players. Yeah. I mean, that's a fraction yeah, well, of how many guys How many GMs in. lost jobs because they butchered first-round picks, though? So maybe it's not so easy. Well, because once again, there's less roster spots in the NBA, to your point. Mm-hmm. So you could argue the picks are more magnified. No doubt. There's not as much room for error. But yes, the NBA draft was last night in Brooklyn, so all of those players are filing in on their respective rosters. We already digested the NFL draft for the last few weeks. Yes, we have. So we don't necessarily need to revisit that. But today we thought that we'd do an interesting exercise. If you recall, earlier in the year, we broke down the NFC East by position. And one of the positions, obviously, that we focused on was tight end. Tight end University just wrapped up. That is an annual summit that... Mm -hmm. All the tight ends across the NFL can take part in. It's the third time, and Travis Kelsey, Greg Olson, Kittle, and George Kittle do a really good job coordinating that, and Giants tight ends have taken part. So considering that wrapped up, I think it'd be interesting to branch out a little bit. Where do the Giants tight ends stack up against the rest of the NFC? We could clearly do this exercise for the entire NFL landscape, but let's just focus on the actual conference that the Giants exist. Now, I went back and I looked at the tally that Pearson took studious notes on, and all of us had the Giants number one Mm -hmm. based on the rest of the division. All of us had the Eagles number two. It fluctuated a little with respect to Washington and Dallas. So we don't need to revisit the NFC East, but... You've got a lot of depth in some of these other divisions. I think it would be interesting to see where Darren Waller and Daniel Bellinger specifically, and some teams you could argue go three, four deep, and we know Lawrence Cager and Tommy Sweeney are probably going to be part of the conversation, where they stack up against the rest of the NFC. So let's start, and we'll go division by division. Paul, we'll start with the NFC North. And when you look at the NFC North right now, you have 
really a mix of some teams that are relying on youth. There are a few guys that were drafted that are probably going to be the starting tight ends. Specifically, Green Bay comes to mind, as well as Detroit, because Detroit drafted Sam Laporta, and -hmm. then you have Musgrave with Green Bay. So that right away goes to show you there's not a lot of proven talent to compare to what the Giants have. I think if you're going to go within the conversation in the NFC North, it probably starts with the Minnesota Vikings. You got TJ Hawkinson, who they traded for from the Detroit Lions. He is by far the most polished option within that division. Yeah, you know, the Lions didn't have to go too far to find a replacement for him, though, did they? Not at all. Getting Laporta as quickly as they did this past April. So good for them. And look, he was a second rounder, but there were a lot of people who thought, at least at the Combine, and I don't know if that changed very much over the next couple of months, but it didn't seem like it. There were still a lot of people who thought he might wind up being the best tight end in this draft over the long term. We'll see. We'll see. But there's little doubt about his skill set. He has a lot of talent. Now it just has to be developed and cultivated. Uh, You look at the rest of the division. I mean, you mentioned Musgrave going to, uh, to Green Bay also in the second. I never heard anybody say they thought he would be the best in the class. People liked him, but I don't think I ever heard him uh, as the as the number one target by anybody who had uh, gone through uh, the draft predictions, uh, Cole Komet from the Bears. Yep, and they have Robert Tunyon who they yeah. added for the Packers. You know, they're okay, but but two I don't solid know. Options. I don't know that their upside is as high as the two rookies that we just talked about. That's fair. And well, obviously, you could say Hawkinson's Hawkinson, a better player than the Bulls. And obviously, Hawkinson yeah. right now is the is the All Pro level guy. Yep. So. That's the way I see it. Well, so that's why I would put Vikings one. I mean, not Vikings, excuse me. Yeah, Vikings yeah. one with TJ Hawkins. Have to be. Confusing him with the Lions. Then I would go probably Bears after that because I do think they have two proven veteran players with experience. Even though Tunyon's been hurt in his latter years with the Packers, you know, this is a rival now with Chicago. Then after that, I'd lean towards Detroit, followed by Green Bay. Because the Lions also have Brock Wright, who's been in the league for a few years with Sam Laporta. So, once again, I'd go Minnesota, Chicago, Detroit, Green Bay. That's how I would stack up the NFC North. Now, Josh Oliver is the second-string tight end for the Vikings. and From Baltimore. Yes, yes. Uh, but he's basically been a journeyman in a handful of NFL seasons. So, the one thing the Vikings do lack is a true depth chart tight end. I I don't know that you could say he's necessarily, you know, one of the better twos in the league. I'd be very surprised if you graded him that highly. Well, Baltimore, he comes from a team. Here's the positive spin. He comes from a team where they focus on the tight end, right? Even behind Mark Anderson. So you look at all of these guys that were in the mix last year for the Ravens. I would say that's not bad depth considering he's coming from an offense where they did showcase that position. Well, the Ravens uh, have done well there, there's no doubt. But, you know, I'm looking at a guy here who was with Jacksonville for a few years, then went to Baltimore for a few years, and now he's been in the league for a handful of seasons and, to my mind, has never really busted. And I met Mark Andrews, by the way. I said Anderson. Oh, yeah. did you say that? Yeah, I, I didn't just catch it. realized. I don't know why I said it, but I, Andrews. And so, yeah. for Oliver, I, I don't see any reason to believe that after being in the league for X number of years now, I think it's five or six years, I don't see any reason to think that you know, he is a top-level second-string tight end. I just I just don't see it. But who knows? Well, I mean, once again, I guess the question is, how much significance do you give a rookie tight end based on what he did in college versus how much do you give a top-heavy veteran who may outweigh the production of two other guys on another no team? No doubt. Right? Everybody's going to look at that differently. No doubt. So I think the way that I'm looking at it is Hawkinson, I'd rather have him than the combination so of Komet and... I'm not disputing that I would. There are other options. I, I'm with you. Minnesota has to be number one in the division. I'm simply saying that it's a uh, it's a very tenuous title for them because if Hawkinson gets hurt, uh, suddenly the balance of power at that position changes dramatically. Sure, a lot of question marks. I mean, they have Justin Jefferson, but once again, the tight end is a big piece of what it's they a do. Very big piece within that Minnesota. We offense. saw that as the Giants firsthand. Sure. Now, with respect to the Giants in comparison to all these teams in the NFC North. I'll take the Giants. Yeah, I'll probably put the Giants number one ahead of all of these teams. Absolutely. Because of the combination and depth that they Mm -hmm. have. Yeah. So that's why I think this is interesting exercise. Now we go over to the NFC South. 
So the NFC South, start with Atlanta. Falcons have a, a nice combo here. I know Kyle Pitts has had a bit of a down year after a rookie year where there yeah. were some flashes, but you can't ignore the athleticism. And then they brought in Jonu Smith, who's a veteran from Tennessee and New England. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad one-two punch no, compared to good. other teams. It's good. It's one I'll of the better that. ones in the conference, I yeah. believe. Uh, but I'm not real excited about the other tight ends in the division, to be honest. Really? I know Hayden Hurst has done some good things Man. in his career, so it's not like you know he's a stiff or anything, but when you look at starting tight, end, tight ends in the league, right now I'm not so sure he's in that upper tier. I think he's a little bit below. I think they're going to focus on him in Carolina because, you know, once again, they brought in Adam Thielen and DJ Chark, but I think that Hurst will probably get his fair share of targets. He did even in a Cincinnati offense, Paul, where, remember a few years back, I know he came over from Atlanta, but in Cincinnati, he was surrounded by all of those star wide receivers mm-hmm. and they found options for him. Plus, I wouldn't overlook Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble are two guys on the back end of the depth chart. I like Treble. I always did. Always did yeah. like Treble. Uh, but I, I, I guess what I'm saying about Hurst, I'm not saying he's not a good tight end. He's a good tight end. I think he's a second-tier guy, though. He's not on the Hawkinson, Waller, Kelsey. You know, he's not no, on that level. of course level. not. Yeah, sure. Andrews, he's not up there with those guys. Those guys are top-level guys. He's not there. Sure. I would argue I think the best depth chart in the NFC South is the Saints because they have Jawan Johnson – who had a very productive season last year. He was a big red zone target. Foster Moreau comes over from the Raiders, who was actually Darren Waller's backup, Mm -hmm. and he played a lot because Waller was hurt over the Mm -hmm. last two years. And then Taysom Hill's a tight end, Paul. I'm putting him in that position (laughs) group. Why not? He's anything. I know he's a running back, he's a quarterback, but Hill counts. Put him anywhere you like. Well, but once again, those three guys, I'll take those three over any other combination in the division. So the Saints are number one in my book in the NFC South. Again, this goes back to, I know Kyle Pitts hasn't necessarily been all universe. He he should have been when he came out in the draft, one of those top echelon guys that we just talked about a minute ago. Yep. You know, top tier guys. He's not in the penthouse. He hasn't proven to no, be in the it's penthouse. No, been up and down in the first two years. But talent-wise, he should be there. So if you want to be speculative about the 2023 season, it would be much like Hawkinson with the Vikings, who is very top-heavy against the rest of the division. Pitts would be top-heavy against the rest of the if division. If he had the production of Hawkinson, if, I would argue. If, if well, if, yeah. if, big if, again, are you projecting in 23 that Pitts will be the guy he was supposed to be when he was drafted? If you still think that's possible, then you could lean to him as the top-heavy guy to lead the division. If you don't think that's possible and think that the the somewhat up and down that we've seen so far is what he is, well, then I could understand your pick. Yeah, I have Atlanta close, but Atlanta would be number two, right behind New Orleans. Okay. And then we didn't mention the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, mainly because I think they have limited depth. <laughs> yeah. Cade Otten, nice player, fourth-round pick in 2022. You know, made some noise as a red zone target. But you know this goes to show you, Tampa Bay actually went from having – some of the best tight ends in the league, and then all of a sudden these guys retired little by little or yeah. left via free agency. Gronk could come out of retirement today and be the starting tight end on he that team. He probably could, yes. Yes. There's no doubt about it. Even without X number of months of training, he could still do it. Sure. <laughs> so this one, I think, has a little bit more substance, this division overall, than the NFC North, but it would come down to New Orleans, Atlanta, Carolina, Tampa Bay. Okay. That's how I would put those four. I think you're leaning more towards Atlanta, number one, because of Kyle Pitts' athleticism. Again, we're projecting for the 23 season, and I'm not ready to downgrade Pitts yet. No, and I'm not downgrading. I'm just, I'm more of, you know, I'm a show-me guy. I got to see it. And that's fine. I haven't seen it yet consistently, so that's why I'd put New Orleans ahead. Now, as far as the Giants stacking up, once again, I'm very high on the Saints. I'd put New Orleans ahead of the Giants. That'd be the only team that I'd put ahead of the Giants. I would not. I would not. But again, folks, I'm a little bit biased because I happen to like Lawrence Cager a lot. And I think as third-string tight ends go, skill set-wise, it's hard for me, it's hard for me, uh, you know, to just overlook him. I don't don't know that there is another third-string tight end in the league that I'd rather have. Well, he showed some flashes. 
unfortunately didn't get as much playing time sometimes as the season went along, but we'll see. That's why it's going to be a great battle on the back end of this tight end depth oh, chart. Oh, I know. How many they choose to keep. And They're different. Yeah, whether or not they prioritize receiving over blocking in that department. Cager is more of a receiving weapon. Obviously, Sweeney is a pseudo-offensive lineman, much like Howard Cross was near the end of his career. Yep. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. So do you need a spoon or do you need a fork? See, I'm getting the food thing in there. Yes, kind I of, see. With the utensils. Okay. All good. I follow. Spoon or fork. I, I I don't know which way the Giants are going to lean. And that's that's probably what makes that decision a little more difficult for me because I just don't know where they're going. But I would go Cager. Well, there's a case to be made for four tight ends on the roster. I don't think that's a stretch. You'd have to rob a position, though, Correct. to do it. And if everybody stays healthy during the course of training camp and maybe – you say to yourself, Cager could be a pseudo-receiver because he does have that mm-hmm. background on the resume. You know, maybe that's how the door opens for well, four tight ends. The one hint that we may have, and I think it's fair to say this, you may disagree, and it's fine if you do. We've heard that versatility role uh, word used an awful lot by not only the defensive staff, but the offensive staff as well. There's a very big emphasis here on guys who can do multiple things, even more than some other staffs. Cager could potentially, because of his wide receiver background and his skill set, line up on the boundary. He could. Yeah. It's not something you'd want to do a lot of necessarily, but he could line up on the boundary in certain plays and certain schemes and mixes. Tommy Sweeney's not doing that. Tommy Sweeney is an in-line tight end period. I don't even think you'd want to put him in the slot. He is an inline guy. I think he's a stationary guy. Cager, you can put him in the slot. You can put him in the boundary. You can certainly put him in line. That's not his strength, but you could. Maybe that versatility gives Cager the leg up on Sweeney. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good problem to have with respect to you have various options and the fullback probably also enters this conversation. It might. Right? I don't think they're going to keep a fullback. So that goes back to Myrick is here. And he was, quote, yep. H-back, fullback, tight end when he took some snaps with this team in the past. Does that put him in a leg up? I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, here to me is the most attractive aspect of the Giants' tight end situation right now. We know Darren Waller has some injury baggage. Not to say that we're hoping anybody gets hurt, but in the event that he can't get through a whole season, I think you got to feel fantastic that you have a guy in Daniel Bellinger who got the experience he got last year, proved he can contribute, proved he can be that number one tight end, Mm -hmm. that in the event you need to move him up the depth chart and rely on him a little bit more as opposed to a balanced attack, I think without any hesitation, you feel great about that. See, you know me well enough to predict what I'm about to say. I would not mind seeing more double tight end packages. Oh, I'm expecting because that. Because you put Waller and Bellinger on the field at the same time. Those yep. guys have capabilities. They've got the tools that they can hurt you. It's not like, well, you know, your second tight end is kind of just exclusively this and he's kind of limited what he can. No, no, absolutely not. Waller and Bellinger as a duo can do damage. 100%, completely with you. I'm just looking at it as the bottom line is every player on your roster is not going to play all 17 games. Right. That's the reality of the league, right? You have right. to anticipate you're going to lose a guy, not for the season, but a game here or there. You have two tight ends that in a pinch, you line them up. I don't think you have to change your offensive scheme. I right? Agree. If you're Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, I think you say things that Waller does, you could throw Bellinger in, vice versa. And that's important. Just like we talk about the quarterback, mm-hmm. when you have a guy that can run, you put a statue in place of that mobile quarterback, you have to change, Paul, what you do from an offensive standpoint. I don't think you have to navigate that challenge at the tight end position. I believe the Giants' offensive coaching staff feels comfortable enough with Bellinger to use him occasionally in the big slot if they had to. So in that regard, he could mirror the same usage as Waller if Waller went down. I don't, however, think Bellinger would ever be on the boundary. Correct. You're not going to send him vertically down the field like we've seen Waller be utilized with the Raiders. That's That's the the one part of Waller's game that Bellinger I don't think would mimic. 
But to me, that's a luxury with respect to Wilder's sure game. Is. Because you have wide receivers that you brought in who are going to be those vertical threats. Something mm-hmm. tells me the Giants are not going to run him down the field. I concur. Six, seven if times If this a receiving game. core stays healthy and does what it's supposed to yes. do, you won't be looking for that. Sure. I mean, because even the Raiders didn't utilize him in that capacity. Correct. Consistently. They picked their spots, right? Mm-hmm. And more often than not, he was effective when they picked their spots. <laughs> Derek Carr threw it up and Waller was there. His, uh, his tape is fun to watch. Without a doubt. They don't build them in the war room or the lab quite like they do Darren, Darren Waller. Yeah, yeah, He is cut from a very different cloth, and that's why there's a lot of excitement surrounding what he could bring to the mm-hmm. Giants this season, rightfully so. I just, I get excited over having security blankets at various positions so that in the event you're put in a precarious spot, you still feel good about how you can operate your offense and how the season could flow. I mean, Paul, we've talked about this with every position. At some point in the last few years where the Giants lose a player at a key position, and, you know, we're talking about some question marks, right, behind that player and whether or not those players are going to hold up. It was very similar to, and I think Wink Martindale deserves a lot of credit, not to get off topic, but we had this conversation when Adoree Jackson went down. and. Mm-hmm. You're saying to yourself, there's a lot of young guys at corner, but there's not a lot of proven talent. And to Wink's credit, you know, he went through the magic potion and he pushed all the right buttons and they got through a stretch where they didn't have their top corner. Doesn't work like that with every NFL team. Let's just throw Jerome Henderson's name out there. Sure. No, absolutely. We don't do that enough. 100%. Yes, the position coach deserves credit. I'm going to take just a little quick time out. Jerome Henderson is one dynamite, absolutely dynamite defensive backs coach. And Wink Martindale has said many times he thinks he's the best corners coach in the league. Uh, I can't tell you about that because I haven't gone through practices with every coach in the NFL. But I will tell you this. Jerome Henderson is a very impressive dude in a lot of ways. And the results speak for themselves as to how he helped get these guys up to speed. Sure. Well, that's why that's promising for a guy like Deontay Banks, who's going to come into the league day one and work with Jerome Henderson, who, by the way, and this also gets overlooked, it's not just that he's been a coach for quite some time. He played the position, mm-hmm. too. And when it comes to relating to a coach, I think that helps. When you're in the room with a guy that put on the I NFL uniform. I think so, uniform. too. Yep. Some guys will tell you it's not a big deal. I do think it helps some. I just think the advice carries a little bit more weight. Not to say that you would doubt and wouldn't listen to a coach that didn't play the position. But if you're in the NFL for many years and then you become a coach, I think that catches the attention of a younger player. I would concur. Let's finish off the NFC, NFC West. So we'll start with the San Francisco 49ers who love their tight ends. And George Kittle <laughs> tops the list. You He's think? the guy that orchestrates <laughs> and helps put together tight end university. And then Charlie Werner is right behind him, who has been a seasoned veteran. He's not a guy that gets a lot of targets, okay. but he does some of the dirty work. It's okay. And then they have younger guys, actually two players that they drafted in the mm-hmm. third round to the seventh round. As far as the Rams are concerned, now LA has some sneaky depth here. Tyler Higby, proven tight end. Mm-hmm. They acquired Hunter Long from the Dolphins. Bryson Hopkins, he came up big in that Super Bowl when they had injuries at that position. He was their fourth-round pick in 2020. I do work with his dad, Brad, on Sirius XM NFL Radio, so I'm a little bit biased. I'm pulling for him in terms of his development. But in all seriousness, he has taken advantage of his flashes. So the Rams, to me, have more depth than the Niners. The Niners are top-heavy, but L.A. has more options that they can turn to if you were just to compare those two teams. Well, Ertz and McBride is the top two on the Cardinals. That's not exactly shabby either. Not at all. I was just looking at the first Okay. I wanted your response to the first two. I concur. We're at the 50-yard line. Don't leave Arizona out. I'm not. I wanted to get you to react and digest the first half of the NFC West. Okay. So now we make our transition to what Paul was Laying out there. All right, I'll leave the Cardinals to last because he already built them up as if they're the juggernaut of this group. Let's go to the Seahawks. Seahawks not too shabby either, okay? And you know they utilize a number of tight ends. Mm -hmm. Noah Fant, who came over in the Russell Wilson trade. Will Disley, who has done a really nice job blocking and receiving. And I wouldn't sleep on also Colby Parkinson is another one of those tight ends. He was a fourth-round pick in 2020. They're very similar to New Orleans, where they maximize all the tight ends on the Mm -hmm. roster, is how I would put it. But Seattle and the Rams are neck and neck 
with respect to the depth and the volume. And then you go to the Cardinals, as you mentioned, Zach Ertz, Trey McBride, who they drafted last year. That probably presents the best one-two punch in the division. I'm with you there. I think they could, they could in theory, challenge the Giants as the best one-two punch in the conference. That's fair. Yeah. But in terms of, let's just finish up, NFC West. Arizona won? Mm -hmm. Is that how you have it? Now, who would you go to? I would probably have to go with the 49ers. I just think they're top-heavy with Kittle, and it's too top-heavy for me. He's just, you know how preferential yep. I am to him because I like them coming out of sure. school. And I remember, Tyler Higby's a very I, productive I didn't say he too. wasn't. No, no, no. I, I'm just saying when you talk about top-heaviness, Higby, he may not put the numbers up of Kittle. Yeah, but Kittle but is special. Kittle is special. And Werner is, I think, a solid backup and a guy that does, once again, he's, some of the things that don't show up. Enough. So I'll go Arizona, one. I'll go San Francisco, two. I'm with you there. Then I think it becomes difficult because, once again, I think mm -hmm. the Rams and the Seahawks present multiple options. How Seattle utilizes the tight ends, to me, I'll give them the edge slightly over the Rams. So I'll go Seattle three and the Rams four. I agree with you that uh, the Seahawks have always found a way to maximize the tight end room. Whoever was in that room, even their third stringers, usually gave them something. They found a way to make it happen. So for that reason, I'll go. I'll go there. I don't necessarily know if the talent quotient says they should be, but I'll go with the schematics. Now, as far as these teams stacking up against the Giants, I would go Arizona over the Giants. So that would be the second team I'd put ahead of the Giants. The Saints were my first team. Would you take Arizona? or Would you take another team over the Giants? No, I, I'm saying Giants won. Cardinals right behind them, really close, really close by by a by a Kleenex tissue. I mean, I think it's close. But I would go. The, I think the Giants' one-two punch of Waller and Bellinger is the best in the conference. Well, they make a strong case, as we discussed. It's just, you know, once again, I think Zach Ertz has been a little bit more durable than Darren Waller. If Can't you disagree with that. that. And McBride and Bellinger, they're both second-year players. So the differential's not immense. I would say McBride was clearly the more decorated tight end in college. That's true. Okay? So That's true. if you're looking at it through that lens plus the rookie year— I'd give McBride the slight edge. It's not to say that McBride's going to be a better tight end when it's all said and done. So that's why Arizona and the Saints are the two teams I'm taking over the Giants. But, I mean, it just goes to show you, I mean, the Giants, that's a top five tight end group in this the NFC. This Waller trade was huge. Not that anybody needs to read that headline because I think they figured it out the second the Giants made the deal. But but Waller, Waller just changes so much for this club. Absolutely, and that's why he stays healthy. You know, it's no surprise if Waller is the leading receiver, even in comparison to all the other guys they have at the wideout position. I don't think there's any doubt. He's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver this year. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sure of it. Well, he has the capability. He plays 16, 17 Done it games. twice. Yeah, 16, 17 games, 1,000 is absolutely within striking distance. Less than that, that could become challenging and difficult. I think... You're looking at an offensive coordinator and a head coach who were not only thrilled and excited to get Waller in here, but immediately started cooking up ways to get him the ball. So he will not lack targets. The only way that he does not produce this year is because he's injured and can't get on the field. If he's on the field, they will find ways to make use of him. There is no question in my mind. Well, that's why there's been a lot of comparisons to the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's not just because Kafka was mm -hmm. there. It's the fact that they were built around Kelsey eats up all the targets, especially mm -hmm. with Tyreek Hill gone, and everybody else is a complimentary weapon. Could the Giants operate identical to that? 100%. Well, and, and we know Dable was an assistant with the Patriots when they had uh, Gronk and Hernandez. Yep. I mean, it, this, this should work out really well. Few reminders before we open up the phone lines here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Giant Settle Podcast. You can check it out on your favorite podcast platform, Giants.com slash podcast. And don't forget, the latest edition is up in case you have not seen it yet. We just had an interview with PJ Fleck, the University of Minnesota head coach. Good conversation on John Michael Schmidt. So that is the latest one that you can check out. As far as the upcoming season, the 2023 NFL campaign, it's officially out. Single game tickets are now on sale. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium this season. Visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. 
And speaking of tickets, you can take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days memberships. They're now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. Giants official connected TV streaming app. It's Giants TV. It brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. So let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513. We check in with David in Michigan here on Friday's edition of BBKL. What's happening, David? What do you got for us? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi. How are you? Um, You know, I want to mention uh, just for because I feel such a connection to you guys. Not only did I have the pleasure and privilege of graduating college with the great Paul Dottino, but I graduated high school with Dan Lynch. Ah, wow. (laughs) That is some connection. Dan Lynch, for you folks who may not understand, uh, he was a very, very important marketing executive here with the Giants for almost 20 years, two tenures, by the way, and has since now uh, retired from the Giants and gone oh, on to, I didn't know that. Yeah. Just, just within the last uh, two weeks, I believe, and is now oh uh, chief of uh, marketing with the World Cup Committee. Yep which will be playing wow. uh, their games here at MetLife Stadium in 2024. So he's staying in the football world. He's just going to the other side of the world. Yes. With his and still in the I same did. property. That's correct. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yes. Hey, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned, you know, during this lull in, in the offseason, that I, I want us to organize a stump P-dot day for Giants trivia. Oh, boy. And you guys, hang on, you guys blew me off, but. The other day, I was listening to Paul and Casillas draft a basketball team from from the Giants roster. And okay, I thought, so who's your really? five? Who's your five? Come on, spit it out. Who's your five? Oh, no, no, no. I, listen, you, come on. I'm, hang on. Okay, here's one. Here's one. Um, there are four first Giants first-round draft picks that went – no, 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 no. I meant who's your five basketball players off this roster? Oh, who's the five basketball players? Oh, I don't know. You know, I mean, I was, if I had to do it, I was pretty much in line with you guys, but I thought. Okay. Before you blow off my giant trivia day. But before we, before we go, before we go, though, I will also tell you I did check with some of the players subsequently, and it seemed to me that there was more of a consensus among some of the players that Tyrod Taylor should be the starting point guard. Just a little bit of information there to throw out. All right. So, so listen, <laughs> I, got, I have one hardcore question yes, for you guys go ahead. today about the defensive line. Now, right. I just want to say, you got, and I know you're going to – you guys are much bigger fans of Leonard Williams than, than I am, like I, as a player. And I don't think the Giants are going to re-sign him uh, after this coming season. Here's my question, and I know how you love hypotheticals, Paul. If Chase Young plays a full complement of season, he has a good, a good year, would you, would you look to replace Leonard Williams with Chase Young? There are a lot of factors involved in that question. Now, I will say this. Salary cap-wise, going into next year, the Giants are going to have to mind their P's and Q's. They're not going to be in a position to open up the vaults for anybody, which is why your comment about Leonard Williams could be very true. If Leonard has a big bang-up kind of season like he did a couple of years ago and had 11 and a half sacks, chances are the Giants may not be able to afford him, and he may have to go somewhere else. But that also means that they're not going to be able to afford an adequate replacement who was going to play at that level anyway. So both ends of your question kind of become very sticky. I also don't think Chase uh, Young and Leonard yeah, Williams are identical in terms not of at the all. type of players. They're really not. So I, I don't I don't look at Chase Young as a replacement for Leonard Williams. I just look at him as an additional weapon. He's talking about pass rusher. He's just, yeah, no, but I, I Leonard, yeah, Leonard yeah, gives yeah, you I more thought, versatility at that no position. Doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Chase doesn't. No so doubt. It's a little bit different from that well, standpoint. See, I thought I thought the Giants' cap situation was going to be a lot better next year. Yeah, but I mean that doesn't mean that you could give 
the type of deal that maybe Leonard Williams is seeking, though. Because remember, the conversation is going to come up about paying Andrew Thomas next year. Correct. <laughs> and so, Xavier McKinney. Uh, yeah, so you're going to have to start yeah, rewarding yeah, yeah, your own players. I mean, have to make big it's decisions not going to be easy. That's, yeah. that's and, true. And, and you've got real low cap numbers this year on Daniel Jones and on Dexter Lawrence and, those and potentially a low cap number on Saquon Barkley if he signs his multi-year deal. But in each one of those cases... Year two is going to start bumping up, so you're not going to have as much money as you think. Yeah, remember, cap space is not just about going after talent outside the organization. It's about having the ability no, to yeah, re-sign yeah. your own. No doubt. So that's and, a big and part listen, of it. a very, a very, very quick, fast giant trivia. Paul, go ahead. The Giants, Giants first round once made their first round draft pick a player from Fordham. Who was it? First rounder out of Fordham. My yep. goodness. No, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, there really? you go. Stump the Dettino. No, I, David, Steve? I'm sorry. I know I'm letting Steve down go. my alums, but I'm sorry. Steve, hang on. Steve Filippowicz, 1943. Paul remembers those days, the leather helmets and all. It's yeah. a little it bit was... before my time, but that's okay. You, you got me, David. Yeah, I... All right, man. I'm going to keep See, I thought you were going to ask me tomorrow. who's the last Fordham player to play for the Giants, and that's Ken Parker, defensive back, who was here in the early 70s. I thought the whole point of having a classmate on is to make you look good, not make you look bad. <laughs> and, and David, appreciate the phone call. We'll let you go on that note. See, I was going to ask you, did you coordinate this phone call to you know help prop you up? And this is what he does. He puts you on the spot like that it's okay. to ask you a 1943 question? Well, wow. you know. He started with a hard one. Yeah. I what? mean, came right out of the gates. smokes. Wow. Hey, whatever. I w- look, I wish I was around that long to watch things. But, you know, well, then again, maybe I wouldn't be here today if I was around back in 43. I don't know. Well, something tells me the laps around MetLife Stadium would help you survive in some capacity. I, I, I'm trying. Yeah. I, well. I keep Father Time in the rearview mirror. I don't want him even coming close to my shadow. I don't think Father Time wants to approach you, to be honest. He probably doesn't. He's probably scared of you. you know? Good he's got point. other people that he's... I intimidate thinking, thinking Father Time! There you go. Congratulations. Continue to uh, work your magic. <laughs> so is there a high school reunion that you take part? Has no, Has that happened not. at all? That no, has never happened? No, I okay. do not. But do you know who that caller was? Has there been some interaction? Oh, from, from yes. Fordham? For college, well, I yes. Said, I thought he said high school. No, high school with Dan Lynch. Oh, okay. college I at Fordham. It. Gotcha. With, okay, so with, it was with college. David. Oh, it was high school with Dan Lynch. Yes. Okay, I, yes. I was thinking the reverse. I have okay. not been to a college reunion either. But well, college but yes, reunion I know, is, is I know big. David. I think a high sure. school reunion is a little bit more digestible because I, I would think it's a little bit more intimate. Maybe you know those people. College, the classes, think about your college alone. If you go to a university, think about all the colleges I know. from that year's class. I know. I mean, that would be very difficult. <laughs> Talker straight. That's why. Okay, so I stand corrected. This was a college yes. classmate of yours. Yes. Okay, so we'll excuse then the resume with respect to the reunion. Okay. Okay. I'll understand why you didn't have one. If it was high school, though, I would have demanded maybe that there be some get-togethers under the circumstances. All right. Let's head back to the phone lines. Now we're listening to Paul's middle school classmate, Jason in New Haven here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jason, welcome aboard. Maybe you could tell us some stories about what it was like sharing a middle school classroom with Paul. We're very excited. Yes. I was born in 84, so I I don't think I'll survive. Okay. (laughs) But uh, I appreciate you guys taking my call. Thank Uh, you. Just a few few points. Uh, Paul, I will agree with you. Uh, on two points you made earlier in the show, um, or I don't know if you made it yesterday or today, so forgive me. No but, problem. Um, Keith, Keith Hamilton, mm-hmm. um, to me, uh, he's one of the better defensive linemen, I'll just say as a group, or defensive tackles uh, in Giants history. Um, how he never got a, a, a Pro Bowl nod, I don't know if he did or not, but if he never did, did. I, don't know how he never, I don't know how he never got one. I mean, at, at some point, the man was pretty much dominant he couldn't be blocked inside so yeah um, and and also ferocious against the run and if you ever got a chance to talk to guys like jesse armstead and mike barrow who were part of the linebacking unit on that super bowl 35 team in 2000 they will tell you that keith hamilton was as valuable as any player any player on that roster that's how good he was by the way he was i didn't mean to interrupt let you continue jason was second team all pro 
So yes, he may have not made the Pro he, Bowl, but he was second team All Pro once. in 2000. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just saying okay. most people don't bring that up. All Pro actually is more meaningful. I than understand, the Pro Bowl. but that's but, but recognition. See, Pro Bowl is because a lot of that's popularity and that's yep. recognition. He never got the recognition he deserved. No, that's fair. Yeah, I just wanted Go to ahead, call make mention of the second team All Pro. All right. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him a young a, a prime uh, a prime Hamilton with uh, Dexter and and Leo. I think that'd have been a quite quite the show to see. Oh yeah. Um, I'm sure. So, I'm uh, sure Madden will allow you to do that, Jason. <laughs> have some time. Hey, exactly. <laughs> right. Hey, yeah. you know <laughs> Keith started out as a, t- a defensive end when he came out of the University yeah. of Pittsburgh, and then they moved yep. him inside. Well, see, that's why in yep. Madden you put Dex in the middle and you put Keith Hamilton <laughs> on the outside. There you go. You're that's singing great. my music. Oh, here. it's great. Okay, there you go. All right. Yes. So back back to real football. Um, a point I wanted to or two points I wanted to make. Um, the receiving core. Um, I think potentially um, this receiving court, and I'm going to include, you know, I'm going to include Waller, Cager, and Bellinger okay. in that group, as far as pass catchers. Um, so yep. passing think, game. You're going to talk passing game. Yeah, the passing game, yes. Um, I've been, Like I said, I've been watching the Giants since I was a little kid, five, four years old, since I can remember. Outside of that Cruz, uh, Knicks, and uh, Manningham trio, um, as far as the overall core, I think this is probably the most, I don't want to say deadly because we haven't seen him on the field, of course, but just from a standpoint of the different types of receivers we have, I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I just say off potential because they haven't played. A lot of these players have been injured, so who knows what's going to happen. Um, that's why I say potential, but that's just because there are so many things that can impact their past performance. Like, let's say, uh, a Campbell. You know, last year, you know, he had a quarterback carousel the whole season and he was finally healthy so yes i'm sure if he had a steady quarterback maybe his stats would have been bigger so who knows um and different offensive schemes so on and so forth i think the mixture of speed and size if they remain healthy and they they play up to their potential i think it's awesome like you guys said dayball was the coach with the patriots when they had gronk and of course Kafka was there in kansas city of course when they had um kelsey jesus Kelsey, excuse me. So I think those two pretty much can find a way to use Waller yeah. in various roles. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I'm very excited. Now, of course, if the O-line is even a little few ticks better than last year, especially Neil, um, I'm not too concerned about, of course, Thomas is all pro, so we're not too concerned about that. I think the guards will be decent, um, but if, 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 uh, if Neil can hold up just a split second more with some of those blocks, um, I really think we're gonna. I really think we're gonna do really well on offense. Like I said, that's dependent on injuries and you know stuff like that. Last point, uh, you guys brought up Lawrence Cager. I'm very high on Cager. Now Bellinger was the tight end one last year, deservedly so. Uh, I thought he played well, but I'm really interested interested to see what Cager brings to the table. He is kind of a Darren Waller light. Not saying he's as good as Darren Waller because he's not, but. Maybe he can learn a few tricks of the trade from Waller. He has that same physical build, mm-hmm. ex-receiver, uh, good size, can run. Um, even some catches he made last year. I remember he had one with Dallas he caught that they called back when we were in Dallas, which I thought was a bogus call to begin with. But yes. uh, be there as it may, um, he had another touchdown catch, I think, against Texans or the Colts or whatever. So he has some potential. So I'm definitely interested to see what, what he can do. And in the last point, Daniel Jones – I will continue to say it. I've been a big believer in him since we drafted him. Um, now, he had his ups and downs, some things, he, you know, he calls on himself, a lot of the turnovers, but all the other things, coaching changes, different schemes, different receivers, in and out, not a steady offensive line. So I think this is the year if, if everything breaks even, if everything goes the course. I mean, I, I think we're looking at a top ten, dare I say, and I may sound like a homer, but I don't care. I think we're looking at one of the top five young quarterbacks in the league. I don't care what nobody else tells me. He has the tools. He has the arm. I remember you guys did a um, podcast with his quarterback coach, I believe, in the yes. offseason. Yes. I want to say last week. And I yep. thought that was an awesome, awesome show, the way he kind of delved into what Daniel Jones has been working on. And uh, I'm really looking forward to him, even from the ball fakes last year, the way he was uh, – some of the ball fakes he had against Chicago, against um, uh, Indianapolis. Like, yeah. this dude really has some tools. And I know I sound like a homer, but – 
I'm really hoping we stay healthy this year and we can we can re- we can really make some noise. So I want to thank you guys for taking my call. And, All right, Jason. Uh, I'll take the call. Jason, before here. you go, before you go, yep. realistically speaking, do you think it's too much to ask this offense to average 24 points a game? No, that's why I mentioned the offensive line. Like, we all know you guys have been around the league, around football. I play college football. Everything starts with the line. That's just no really doubt. the backbone of, of any offense. So, if we could stay uh, uh, if we could stay uh, even middle of the pack as far as a unit, I'm a big believer in Bredesen. I think he's a really good player that nobody talks about. I think he's going to take that left guard. I doubt they're going to unseat Glowinski. So, I don't know what's going to happen in Zuda. Maybe he takes it over next year if everything breaks even. But to me, the the key right now is Neil. And I'm a big believer in Neil. He was hurt last year, mm-hmm. transitioned to the right tackle, had to deal with Parsons and Reddick and DeLong. I mean, just a just a a horror of defensive linemen he had to play last year. So if Neil can even be average, he doesn't have to be uh, Thomas, but as, as long as he's average, I don't see why we can't score 26 points, 25 points with the weapons we have. Oh, that's Daniel even better. Jones in the second well, I mean, that, that's some jump in, in from offense. last season. Yeah, yeah. they were twenty, yeah. just so about I'll, twenty-one I'll last year. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Call, Jason. They were yeah. about twenty-one last year. Now, yeah. to me, I think a field goal extra is realistic and not too much to ask. I, I, you know, maybe I'm a little conservative. Maybe the call is right. Maybe they can average twenty-six a game. I think that's quite a leap. I, I'd yeah, be so happy. I. I think it. I think I'd be. I don't. I hate to use the word satisfied. But I think if the Giants can score 24 a game, that will bode well for their their playoff chances. Yeah, 24 is a nice number. But, you know, once again, you just got to look at it through the lens of in order to even increase your scoring by three to four points, you know, just do the basic math, what that entails over the course of a season. It doesn't seem like a I know. lot, right? I know. Three points, three points. I mean, that's nothing. But I know. over the course of a season, it does add well, up. Well, they did that previous year to last year. Sure, but they brought I mean, it up by about a field goal. The standard from where they oh, were coming I know. from was not. It was like much of slogging through yeah. mud. Now, it was hard. Now you don't have a standard that's skyrocketing, but you have at least some respectability that you're operating yes. with. Okay, Concur. So it's a little bit different. Helps to have a great field goal kicker. <laughs> it does, well, especially when you play all those close games. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I look at when the Raiders, and I think we brought this up on previous shows, the Raiders, when Waller had one of his career years, the Raiders only averaged about 19, 20 points a game. Right. And remember, they didn't have star-studded wide receivers, and the Giants have a nice group, but they don't necessarily have a star-studded wide receiver. So there's similarities from that standpoint, and even Waller alone wasn't going to you know, boost the offense five, six points per game. You know, I, I think one of the things that can help the Giants' offensive point total and we probably don't think about this very often because we know that the Giants' success defensively is because what they do on third down and in the red zone. That's always going to be the emphasis in Week Martindale's defense. But I think they're going to be better between the 20s on defense this year, which may, in fact, it should help their average yards per start per drive. So if you're giving them a little bit better field position, maybe it's even only eight or nine yards. But if that's just one first down, well, maybe that's just another eight or nine yards or one first down or so where, you know what? Graham Gano can hit a 52-yarder as opposed to you're trying to punt the ball. Sure. Well, and the new kickoff rule, we'll see what impact that has, too. I mean, getting the ball in the Haven't even thought line. about that. I mean, Haven't even another. thought about the new kickoff rule. So we'll see. We just don't know. Even Thomas McGahee, the special teams coordinator, does not know how the new rule will yeah, take, and that's gonna be a wait and see take effect so, yeah. or how it will play out. So, I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, I think the defense is going to be better in between the 20s. I do believe that. Well, if the defense improves, that's great. But we'll see whether or not that carries over to your Again, point. Again, field position should, side. in theory, field position should help the offense score more points. You would hope. Correct. But you got to also make sure you don't put yourself in a position to go backwards well, as opposed to no forwards. Doubt. Remember, that's the fine line. No doubt. You get a penalty. That takes away all the good uh, I don't field want to hear about those things. Well, but those things do come <laughs> into play. And by the way, I just looked it up. 2019, which yes. was Waller's first career breakout campaign. Right. The Raiders averaged 19.6 points per game. Just to give you an idea. I'm not saying it's equivalent to the Giants. Now, he had a fantastic year the following year, and they did make a jump. They actually made a noticeable jump. They went up to 27 points per game. 
that season. And that's on the opposite end of the spectrum. If you look at the norm in the NFL, and they were a top 10 scoring offense. Was there another huge jump for any particular player offensively besides Waller from that first second to second year? That's a fair point. Well, I'll just take a glance. I mean, Derek Carr is the first guy I would go towards. Well, so yeah. Right? Because he's the guy throwing the ball. He played all 16 games. This is the 2020 season. He had 27 touchdowns against nine interceptions. Now, let me look at what he did strong in 2019. Numbers. Very strong numbers because that could have made the ultimate difference. In 2019, Carr played all 16 games, 21 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. So the interceptions were identical pretty much. He just had 8 more passing touchdowns. But I still, I don't pin it on 8 more passing touchdowns. What was Accounts there, for a difference of 8 points per game. What was That's the, way too what much. What was their yardage per game? Forget the points for a moment. Yardage what per was game? their yardage per game in those two years? Let's see. Yardage per game. Do they have? They have the points. Why don't they have the yardage? And this is pro football reference for some reason. That I'm going to have to look up. Okay. I'll look that up as we move along. No, that's fair. Why, you think it made a significant jump in terms of the total yardage per game? Uh, you can bring there's that certainly up. a chance. Again, I don't know how much field position had to do with that scoring prowess either, but I'm going to guess my first, my first shot in the dark says the yardage was a bit different. It's possible. Well, this will be a good exercise to determine whether or not, you know, even yardage can help your cause. Okay, let's see. I got the 2019 regular season total yardage here. And the Raiders in 2019, as I continue to move through the list here, let's see. You know, it's funny because... (laughs) 364 yards in 2019. And that put them... What did that put them? Probably in the middle third of the pack, right? 8, 9, 10. Put them 11th. They were right outside 11th. the top 10. Right outside the top 10. And that year, 10. they only averaged 19.6 points which, per game. Which is right at the edge of the uh, of the first third, right? Because if you divide the NFL into threes, it's basically 11-11-11, so kind of. Now right? let's see, 2020, in comparison, they were at 383 yards. So they jumped about 20 yards per game Well, from 19 to 20. Now think about that. 20 yards per game. That could easily get you at least a field goal again. Well, that's the field positioning that you're talking about. Yes. If you look at it yes. from that standpoint. Yeah. But this is a difference of eight points a game, Paul, which is I know. insane. That's I a mean, lot. We're not talking about field goal. That's a lot. They went from 19 look, to 27. I'm going to ask them for 24 a game this year. Is that is, I think that's okay a, with that? it's a reasonable ask. Okay. And I never shied away from your number. The 26, which is what the caller brought up, that may be pushing it. 24, I think, he is He could be reasonable. greedy if he wants to be. Right. He could be greedy. It's He's the been rooting for the team Everybody since 84. He's absolutely entitled to be greedy if he wants to be. Now, the other thing that I wanted to respond to was the point about Lawrence Cager. And if you remember, we had a question yesterday about Vernon right. Butler on mm-hmm. the defensive line. And I think there's similarities between the two in terms of my response. In order for a guy like Cager, when you say you're excited to see what he could do, A, he's got to make the roster. That's number one, okay? Right. Number two, and this is just like the conversation we had about Vernon Butler. The second factor is, in order for realistically Cager to get the opportunities and the targets where you would notice him and he would make some splashes, somebody else in, ahead of him would have to get hurt. Right. And which I don't think anyone is that. banking on. No. Yeah, nobody so, wants that. Forget about banking on it. Yeah. So that's why you've got to be, when you say you're excited about a player, I always say, okay, well, what's the path for him to actually produce? It's not an easy path when you have Darren Waller and Daniel Bellinger ahead of you. Not at all. Taking reps, snaps, and targets. The third tight end on the Giants, if everything goes according to game plan, he's going to play 12% of the snaps, maybe? Maybe? Far and few. Remember, Cager didn't have Waller to worry about. He only had Bellinger last season. And is it possible that Thanksgiving game, did Bellinger miss that Thanksgiving game? Let me. It's you remember he was referencing the plays he made against Dallas. That was I Thanksgiving. Think he did. Bellinger may have not even played that game. I think he missed that. Game. So that may have been a reason but you, why. But you also, have to understand, you also have to understand. My though, Cager got a late start coming in here last year. That's fair. Sure. Which which put him behind the eight ball, and it kind of prevented him from maybe even rising up a little quicker. I'll give you that. You but know. once again, now he's got even more players ahead of him. Well, that's true. That's my point. No he doubt. didn't have Waller to deal with. No doubt. Now At he least he's had an offseason, though, to prepare. No, you could but, argue he has more familiarity and comfort with the scheme. I'm with you. I haven't checked, and this would be a very good exercise, and we should have done this before the program because we were talking tight ends. 
How many snaps does a third-string tight end play in the National Football League? What is the average number of snaps? Is it is it twelve percent? Is it ten percent? Well, I could look that is up. It, is it eight percent? What what does the third-string tight end usually get? Well, I'm going to say it's probably no more than fifteen percent of the offensive snaps during the season. I would say in the fifteen to twenty percent is a reasonable expectation. Only because I'm accounting for some of the guys ahead of you may have missed a few games. So therefore, yeah. there's going to be a game where it boosts the potential of how much playing time course, you get. Of course, you'd like to believe, and folks, who knows if this is going to happen? You'd like to believe there's also going to be games where you will get the game out of hand. And maybe if you Which have also, a really nice correct. lead and then the fourth quarter, okay, it's your quarter. Get get Waller off the field. You don't need him anymore. Yeah, so somebody else is <laughs> What, what are the odds of the Giants blowing people out? I don't know about that. Well, I mean, there could be a game here or there. That's why I'm saying I'm going 15 to 20% to account for that. Okay. Well, the team, anyway. that, the team that I wanted to bring up, just to give you an idea, yes. is I'm bringing up the Seahawks from last season. Okay. Because, once again, they play three They usually try to do okay? that. Okay, so yes, we would do. agree with that. Okay, so here's the snap counts for the three Seahawks tight ends who are also, by the way, still on the roster. I'm focusing on, by the way, Noah Fant, yeah. Will Disley, yeah. and Colby Parkinson. Okay, Those are the that's three. fair. Okay, now maybe this is not a good example since they all play much higher than we anticipated. Fant, we say, is the number one guy, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, he played 60% of the snaps. Right. Then Disley, 52% of the snaps. Okay. Colby they they do a lot of double tight end. That's why. So a lot of this, double tight end well, plays. I mean, but once again, is that so? Is that the team you're looking for, or do you want a team that doesn't play a lot of double? I tight think ends? the Giants will mix some of that in. I'd like to probably see more than they will use. I don't think they're going to use a lot, but I think okay. they'll use some. Well, just to give you an idea, Parkins had played forty one percent of this. Did he really? Was the third tight end? Okay. Wow. So let me bring up. That's a lot. Let me bring up. You want to look at the Niners? You think the Niners would be a good example? But Kittle got banged up. So that may not be the best example. But Because San Francisco is another team that plays. Why don't, why don't you look at uh, Buffalo? The Bills you want to look at? And Fine, Kansas City. Bills. And see those two to see those two teams because okay. of the offensive schemes That's that these coaches have come from. See what they did with their third tight end. Well, because the Chiefs have what Noah Gray as yeah. their second guy. I mean, Kelsey, we know right. Plays. Well, you okay. know, right? He's he's, well, the, he's the monster. No, Kansas City. This is a good example. I like this based on the numbers. Kelsey, eighty yeah. percent of the snaps. Noah Gray, who I mentioned, fifty-two percent. Then the third tight end. You could go one or two ways. They had Blake Bell and Jody Fortson. Fortson played more. He played 16% of the snaps. Yeah, and that's the guy I, mean, I would think. Okay. Now, of course, remember the Chiefs also got involved in some blowouts, and that helped that situation probably a little bit too. Sure, but it gives uh, you an idea yeah. of the third guy yeah. in the pecking order. And how about the Bills? I'm going to bring up the Bills now too as a, a fair comparison. I mean, again... For how for the amount of snaps that the third string tight end plays, are you better off going with the blocker or better off going with the more versatile athletic guy? It, it's a it's a really hard decision. I would lean towards the blocker right now, before we even see anything at training camp. That would be the guy I'd lean the towards. The previous years, Paul Tatino would have said that hands down. Right now, given this team, this system, these coaches. I think I might go the other way. Only because I think that's what they might do. If I had the decision, I, I'm, you know me, I'm going to lean towards power football every time. Dawson Knox played 76% of the snaps. Quinton Morris played 26%. Tommy Sweeney was at 6%. And Tommy Sweeney is now here. Correct. Tommy Sweeney is now here. Yeah. Uh, Who could I'm, be the third tight end? If he is the third tight end, um, whether or not he believes he's going to get more than 6%, I have no idea. But he's here because of the Buffalo connection. I'm sure yep. that it was Shane and Dable that gave that gave him that first phone call and said, well, are you interested? Sure. And that's what I'm also taking into consideration when I'm looking at the chances of making the roster, the connection to Buffalo. But I don't think the Giants are going to have this type of a breakdown because Quinton Moore, Bellinger is going to get more than 20 Six yes, percent will. of the snaps. There's no doubt so about that. So it's not going to be identical, but Buffalo was at least a good litmus test just to look at under the yeah. circumstances. Here's another thing to take into consideration before we wrap up here. When you assess who you keep, how many tight ends, do you say to yourself, keeping Cager on the 53-man roster, we ensure he'll stay 
as opposed to Sweeney, there's a better chance he hangs out on the practice squad? Do you look at it from that standpoint? Because my point is, if you keep three on the active roster, I would still make a case to keep the fourth tight end Without a on doubt. the practice squad. Without a doubt. But you could argue, and a lot of this may have to do with what we see in the preseason. Because then Myrick comes into play, too. Myrick's another because one. Because I think you can get him through. Okay, but Cager versus Sweeney is the bigger question mark. Who do you feel better about? All you need is one team That's out right. there yeah. that desperately needs a tight end, and do they need a blocker, a blocker or, or a do receiver, they need yeah. an athletic guy? Go and if that way. one team needs one, and the rest of the street free agent tight ends don't fit their needs, they're going to grab your guy. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you so, just don't know. I mean, right now it's hard to answer that because I think you can easily make a case either way sure. depending on how injuries play out over the course of the preseason. Something to think about. Indeed, that that will wrap up Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running again on Monday. We're going to start our opponent previews as we go through each and every team that the Giants will play in the 2023 campaign. And today's episode, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and on Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll speak to you on Monday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.